get someone to get this light? By chance? Anybody? Thank you, Josh. All right, well, today we begin um, a new chapter in our study through the book of Romans. And one of the things that we talked about last week was how God desires for each of us to bear good fruit. And Bob shared that fruit represents the qualities and attributes of Christ's character. Fruit are the things that we invest in that have eternal value. And a question that we wrestled with and should continue to wrestle with is this. Is our life producing fruit? Is your life producing fruit? Because the true test of who our master is, is found in the fruit that we bear. And we're going to be diving into this more today as we look at what it means to live and walk with the Spirit. So we're going to just jump right in. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 7. It should be page 784 if you're using a pew Bible. Romans chapter 7. We're kind of tackling a decent little section here. Uh, Verses 1 through 13. It says, Do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to men who know the law, that the law has authority over a man only as long as he lives? For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. So then, if she marries another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress, even though she marries another man. So, my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. For when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies, so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had said, do not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, Produced in me every kind of covetous desire. For apart from law, sin is dead. Once I was alive, apart from law. But when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me. And through the commandment, put me to death. So then, the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means, but in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it produced death in me through what was good, so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. Okay, I know that's a little heavy, so I want to share a quick story that might hopefully make a little more sense of this. Uh, Consider this family for a moment. Susan was married to a man named Brian for 20 years. And Brian was the type of guy that never ate breakfast, so Susan grew accustomed to never cooking a morning meal. Brian also never cared about having a clean house, just wasn't a priority for him, and so it never really became a priority for Susan. After some health complications, um, Brian passed away. And after a time of grieving, Susan remarried a man named Jim. And Jim was 
a lot different than Brian. Jim loved breakfast, but after 20 years of it never being a priority in her first marriage, she just could never get in the rhythm of cooking a morning meal for Jim. And Jim also loved having a clean house, and that caused issues too, because she never um, made it a priority to have a neat and tidy house after 20 years of it not being an issue. So a lot of frustration started to build up, and one day Jim expressed that uh, frustration to Susan. Uh, Susan. And she said, well, you know what? Brian never wanted breakfast, and Brian never wanted a clean house. And Jim responded by saying, Susan, Brian is gone. You're married to me now, and you've got to stop living like you're still married to Brian. And this is the point that Paul is bringing home in the first half of this passage. He's telling the Jewish Christians in Rome, he's saying, you guys are not married or bound to the law anymore. Your new husband is Christ. Not that the law is bad by any means, but Christ is your new husband. Now look closely at verse 4. What is the purpose of this union with Christ? Paul tells his readers that they belong to another, Jesus, in order that we might what? Anybody? In order that we might bear fruit to God. And this is only one of many passages of Scripture that talk about bearing fruit. We're going to dive into a lot of them today. Let's look at, um, this is Jesus himself speaking. He says, This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And Jesus also goes on and tells us, you don't have to turn there, in Luke 6 he says, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. But each tree is recognized by its own fruit. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. And back to the point Bob made last week. We will be known as disciples of Jesus by the fruit that we bear. Now before we move on, it's important to recognize that bearing fruit is a process. You can't just go out and buy some vines and plant them and expect fruit next week. I've never planted a vineyard. That is not my field of expertise. But some of the research I did says that it usually takes about two to three years for the grapes to really be ready for the wine to be good. Two to three years And just like planting fruit is a process, so is bearing fruit in our own lives. And we can't bear fruit every hour of every day. If you think of it like this, uh, consider Jesus. After he was baptized, he went out into the desert for 40 days alone to be with God. And all he did was pray and fast. Clearly, bearing fruit was not really important to him at that time. He wasn't concerned about impacting people's lives. He knew that at that time, he needed to abide in the Father to be strengthened for what was to come. Consider Paul the Apostle. Immediately after his conversion, Scripture tells us he went into the desert of Arabia and spent three years alone with God. Three years praying, fasting, being one with the Father and abiding in the vine. He probably wasn't that influential in the lives of people during during those three years, but he knew he needed to abide in the vine to become prepared for what was to come. Let's look at verse 5 again. 
says, For when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies so that we bore fruit for death. So there's another kind of fruit that we're capable of producing. When we allow sin to have its grip in our life, we're probably going to produce fruit for death. And that fruit is going to look something a little similar to probably rotten apples or moldy strawberries, neither of which are very appealing uh, to us. So how do we bear good fruit? That's a question we're going to come back to a lot today. And the temptation for most Christians, most people I know, their mind immediately goes to, well, I need to work harder. I'm going to serve more. I'm going to do more good things for Jesus, and I'm going to give more money to the poor, and then surely great fruit is going to follow from that. And this is where things get really interesting with the Christian faith, and we have a hard time wrapping our minds around it. And it's this. We can't live like that apart from God. We can't bear good fruit out of our own effort and our own hard work. No matter how hard we try, no matter how much we serve, no matter how much money we give, we can't bear good fruit apart from the Holy Spirit living and working in us. And that's huge. I'm going to say that again. We can't bear good fruit apart from the Holy Spirit living and working in us. Let's look at what Jesus said in John 15. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Keep that up there for a minute. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And I think what makes that so difficult for us as Americans to wrap our minds around is that that is contrary to basically everything that's been ingrained in us starting at a very young age. We're told, do what you want. Hey, it's your life. Be all that you can be. You can do anything in the world if you set your mind to it. You can change the world. Believe in yourself. Thanks, Oprah. If you work hard enough, anything is possible. But then our Savior comes along and says, Hey guys, apart from me, you can do nothing. It's like, seriously? Seriously, Jesus? That is like the opposite of everything that has been ingrained in me the majority of my life. Apart from Christ, we don't have the power to resist sin and bear good fruit. Um, I got another slide. This is from Pastor John MacArthur, and we're going to be looking at a few from him today. He had this to say. Apart from the Spirit's supernatural power, we could never succeed in putting to death the recurring sin in our lives. If we were left to our own resources, the struggle with sin would simply be flesh trying to overcome flesh, humanness trying to conquer humanness. Even as a Christian, Paul lamented, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For the wishing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. Without the Holy Spirit, a Christian would have no more power to resist and defeat sin than does an unbeliever. It's important to just remember, too, that we don't, that we shouldn't abide just in Christ um, only for the sake of bearing good fruit. We can get so caught up in doing good things for God that we forget that He just wants to be in a relationship with us. That just being with Him is enough. He wants our heart. We talk about this a lot here at Wellspring. And he knows that if he has our heart, good things are going to flow from our lives. It's not a matter of how much we do. 
And we abide in him because he's worthy and because he has forgiven us of so much. And we've talked about that recently too. And the importance of keeping that fresh in our hearts and our minds of how much we've been forgiven. Because if we can do that, then we'll be, we'll be living in a state of gratitude. And it's from that gratitude we'll want to abide in him. It's the only way. And through abiding in him, good fruit will come from our lives. Now let me um, share a personal example of my struggle in this area and maybe some of the lies that I believe. Um, I'm one of those people, when I wake up in the morning, my mind is uh, immediately bombarded with all the things I have to get done that day, and it's pretty easy for anxiety and worry to kick in. I don't even have children, so I, don't, I have no idea how you guys with kids do it. Uh, I'm going to be a wreck, probably. I'm going to need some extra grace. Um, and it's easy to let the voices of worry and anxiety fill my heart. But usually there's also another subtle, gentle voice that speaks to me that says, Justin, be still. Just come be with me before the chaos begins. And I know that's the Spirit of God drawing me to him. But nine times out of ten, the struggle for me is believing that I'm in control and that I can actually accomplish more out of my own wisdom and work effort than with God's help. So here's an example. This past week, I was preparing for today's message I came out to the church um, a couple different days, pretty early in the morning, and I got here uh, in my office back there at about 8 in the morning, and I sat down at my desk, and it was completely still. I mean, this church was quiet. There was, I think I was the only person here, there was no sound, nothing silent. The conditions were perfect for solitude. And I heard God just speak to me and said, hey, I'm here, it's, it's silent, just listen to me. And literally in my mind, I responded, no way, God. I've got so much to do. I've got a full sermon to write. I can't make time for solitude right now. I'm sorry. I'm already behind on this thing. I've got to knock it out. Maybe I'll get with you Saturday. Thankfully, Friday rolled around. I got here about 8 a.m. Friday morning, and I realized how much of an idiot I was. And I stopped. I opened up God's Word. I read some from the book of Matthew. And I asked God for help in writing my sermon. And I just spent some time with Him. And that day, the sermon started to flow a little better. So the struggle for me is believing the lie that I'm in control and that I can actually write better sermons and be a better pastor on my own than apart from God's help. I know that sounds ridiculous, and it is. So that's my struggle. What about you guys? Time for a little crowd participation. So as believers, you know, deep down, we long to be in close relationship with Christ and bear good fruit. What is it that hinders us from doing that? What is it that hinders you from abiding in Christ? Maybe what are some of the lies that you believe about yourself or God that hinder you from doing that? For me, it's the lie that that I can get more done and be a better pastor apart from God. So what about you guys? What is it that hinders you from abiding in Christ? And maybe what are some of the lies that you believe about yourself or God that hinders you? So let's hear from you guys. So you're staying just way too busy. You don't have the space to be with him. What else? I guess we're the only people that struggle. Fear of doing it wrong, making a mistake, not having confidence that you can go to maybe a relationship with somebody that you work with and really sit down with them and say, 
Yeah, just kind of fear of just messing it up or doing it wrong. Yes. Maybe I'm believing the lie that if you work hard enough, then surely God will be pleased with you if we do more good things. Anna. Yeah, that's good. I think most people heard that. That's great. You can feel so much guilt and regret from your past life that you have a hard time actually believing that God loves you and wants to be with you. Yeah. Believing the lie that the world's so messed up that it's impossible to really honor God and glorify God. <laughs> One more. Yeah. Sometimes believing that life is so hard that it's impossible to get through it, even with his help. Good. All right. Um, let's look at verse 6 again. We're wrestling with, you know, how do we live as though we're no longer slaves to sin? How do we live in a way that produces good fruit? Verse 6 says, But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. You know, as Bob talked about earlier, for those of us who are believers and committed to following him, we're one with Christ, we're completely united with him. Whether we want to believe that or not, that is, that is our identity, and we've got to live into that, that sin does not have to have its grip on our lives. And, you know, uh, verse 6 says, we're called to live in this new way of the Spirit, and Pastor John MacArthur kind of had this to say about the Holy Spirit. He said, if the Spirit dwells in you, then you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Being in the Spirit is not a matter of looking holy or attending church, but of being indwelt by the Spirit. The Greek word translated dwell indicates that the Spirit makes His home in you. He lives in every believer. When a person becomes a believer, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in him and begins to produce a life of holiness. And the Holy Spirit is definitely the most misunderstood person of the Trinity. Um, it doesn't help. Some translations refer to him as the Holy Ghost, and I can put up these goofy images in our minds of like Casper the ghost, or some ghost hanging out in our closet that's waiting for us to find him, or just goofy stuff like that, which couldn't be farther from the truth. The Holy Spirit is fully God. He's very real, and he lives inside every believer, and he teaches us the truths of Jesus, and we're going to get back to that in a little bit, and he opens our eyes to the truth. Let's look at um, the book of Romans, go ahead, or sorry, uh, the book of Galatians. Go ahead and turn there. Galatians 5, starting in verse 16. I think it's page 810 if you're using a pew Bible. Galatians 5, starting in verse 16. 
It says, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. And skip over to verse 22, a passage we're very familiar with. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with his passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So at the point of conversion, the Spirit makes his home within us, and he lives inside us. So as believers, the Spirit is always living inside us. Whether we're going to be aware of Him, whether we're going to be attending to His presence or not, He is living inside us, but it's our choice to walk with Him. And that is the difference. It's our choice to walk with Him every day and to keep in step with Him. Think about someone who is your best friend. If you spend enough time with them, you're going to know what they're thinking in most situations. You're going to be able to tell by the look on their face, if they're excited, if they're worried, if they're scared, if they're afraid. And most of the times, a lot of times, you can even finish some of their sentences because you know them so well. And you know what they're passionate about, and you know what breaks their heart. But do we know Christ like that? Are we so familiar with His Word and attentive to His Spirit That we know how he would respond in most situations. And so we can imitate that in our own lives. Because we're so familiar with him. It's our choice to walk with the spirit and know him. And know Christ like we know our best friends. So back to the question. How do we walk in the spirit? And here's how we're going to get practical for a few minutes. Walking in the spirit starts every morning that we crawl out of bed. If you're like me, like I shared earlier... First thing, I mean, when I wake up, my mind is immediately bombarded with things I got to do, and it's easy to freak out, be filled with worry and anxiety over thousands of situations. There's all kinds of voices that want to speak to us, especially when we start our day. Our enemy has a full arsenal of weapons to get inside our heads, to get us off track from walking in the Spirit. Or we can choose to listen to the other voice, that gentle voice of the Spirit that says, be still and know that I'm God. The voice that tells us, you know what, come to me if you're weary and I'll give you rest. And that's the Spirit speaking the Word of God to us. But will we listen and will we respond? Will we take the time to be still and attentive and believe that maybe just maybe, God might actually want to speak something to us that's going to be more significant than watching the morning news or reading the newspaper. Could it be that God might want to speak something that's going to impact our lives in a far more significant way than checking our work email and getting ahead for the day? Another way we can walk in the Spirit is by responding to Him when He convicts us of sin. Because when you're tempted to sin or you're in the middle of sinning and you feel that sense of guilt, that voice that says, you know this is wrong. I have so much more for you. That's the Spirit telling you to stop chasing after foolish things. He's saying, stop running from me. 
I have so much more for you. I have such a better life for you than this, than what you're living. But again, the ball's put in our court. Are we going to listen? And are we going to respond and get on our knees and ask for forgiveness? And probably the most important thing we can do to make sure that we're walking in the Spirit is to be immersed in this book, to be immersed in the Word of God. Reading Scripture, studying Scripture, and meditating on Scripture does not happen by accident. It's an intentional effort, and we have to create space, kind of as Charlotte was saying, we have to create space in our lives to be immersed in the Word of God. Being familiar with the message and truths of this book is the primary way that God speaks to us. See, the Spirit is always pointing us to Jesus, and the message and life and teachings of Jesus are found right here. So if we really want to follow Jesus, there's no other shortcut but to know this book. Think about farmers for a minute. Think about farmers who want to produce a good crop. There are certain things that they have to do some non-negotiables. They can't ignore crop and seed selection. They can't forget the importance of seed sowing, irrigation, and fertilizing the crop. I'm not a farmer, so if you're a farmer, I'm probably butchering this. I'm sure there's a lot of other things I'm missing. But the point is, there are certain things you have to do to produce a good crop. And just like farming, there are things in the Christian life that are non-negotiable. You can't not read God's Word. You can't not pray. You can't not listen to the voice of God. You can't not be in community. If you don't do those things, good fruit is not going to flow from your life. If you do those things and your heart is right, and that's the key, if you do those things and your heart's right, beautiful fruit, beautiful fruit will flow from your life. Let's look at one more quote here from John MacArthur. He had this to say about God's word. Being controlled by God's Spirit comes from being obedient to His Word. The Spirit-filled life does not come through mystical or ecstatic experiences, but from studying and submitting oneself to Scripture. As a believer faithfully and submissively saturates his mind and heart with God's truth, his Spirit-controlled behavior will follow as surely as night follows day. When we are filled with God's truth and led by His Spirit, Even our involuntary reactions, those that happen when we don't have time to consciously decide what to do or say, will be godly. So as we wrap up today, I want to give you guys just a minute or two to set in silence and kind of process and reflect on some of this. We're going to put the questions up that I asked earlier for you guys to wrestle with. I encourage you guys to write them down so you can reflect on them today and maybe throughout this week as well. Because what's, what's most important is, what are you going to do with this information? How is this material going to impact the way that you live tomorrow? So take a minute and write those questions down real quick. What is it that needs to change in your heart and life to help you better walk with the Spirit? And most of us have heart issues that need to be dealt with and examined, and we need to ask for forgiveness. For me, it's my pride 
and thinking that I can actually be a better spouse, pastor, or write better sermons out of my own wisdom and strength than, um, than with God's help. And then some of us need to make some changes in our lives to create space for us to actually start hearing God's voice. So after you've examined maybe the heart issue of what hinders you from abiding in him, then consider, are there some, just some life changes that need to be made to help you better walk with him and abide in him? Uh, so take a few minutes to wrestle with those questions and ask God what needs to change in your heart and life. And after a minute or two of silence, I'll come up and pray for us, and then we'll close out with one more song.